Some people call it the cannibal buffet. Today, we're talking about legal malpractice. What happens when lawyers become clients and why we've been seeing more of this lately. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So let's be honest, no client ever really wants to pay their attorney's fees. But in rare cases, some clients decide to dispute those fees and file a legal malpractice claim. It is rare, although it's becoming slightly less rare, according to data analyzed by today's guest. Bloomberg Law reporter Tatiana Monet crunched some numbers from the insurers who protect law firms from malpractice claims, and she found that the size of these claims has grown in the past few years. And as interesting as this aggregate data is, there are also some really interesting individual data points, like Elon Musk's malpractice claim against big law behemoth Wachtell that challenges the firm's fees for helping him buy the company formerly known as Twitter. The really interesting thing, though, at least in my opinion, is why we're seeing this increase, especially when there was once a stigma against lawyers who take on these claims against firms, what some derisively call the cannibal buffet. We'll get into all of that, but first I asked Tatiana to break down the legal malpractice trends for me. And that trend really is just going up. Before the 2008 recession, you know, we saw claims that were relatively small. Uh, the frequency of, of these claims actually hitting the docket wasn't super high either. After 2008, we've sort of seen more and more and more each year and now we're sort of seeing, you know, most of the the big insurers are paying claims in the $50 million, $100 million payout park. And so I think what we're seeing is maybe not more malpractice claims, but the severity of the claims are sort of becoming more expensive, more intense. Yeah, I, I got that from your story. And I also think that it's interesting that the the uptick really started around the 2008 recession. I don't think that's coincidental at all, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit more in a bit. Um, first off, let's talk about some of the recent claims. Uh, there are some heavy hitters here, some big, you know, bold-faced names. Uh, tell me about some of the recent legal malpractice claims and who's filing them. One of the cases that we're seeing play out this year that started last year is Elon Musk, who had acquired Twitter, made it X. He's currently suing lawyers out of Wachtell for their work on that deal. He's suing them over a $90 million bill. And this is a, a bill they gave him as sort of a, you know, we succeeded in helping you acquire this company. Now, you know, pay us this fee. I mean, yeah, it is sort of their their $90 million success fee that they're they're battling over right now. And the the idea of these cases are a client being surprised by a very large bill, maybe while they were doing the work everything was fine. Once they see the bill, they realize, oh, something's wrong here. Something doesn't align with what we were thinking. Sort of a sticker shock. Yep, that's exactly it. The, you also mentioned some litigation or some potential litigation involving FTX, the crypto trading firm that famously went under. Uh, what's that about? It sounds like that's a little bit different than the, the Elon Musk uh, Twitter situation. 
Right, right. Yeah, those are a little bit, that's a little bit of a, of a different case. In Fenwick's case, um, you know, they were representing FTX. After the fraud was sort of found out, FTX customers, you know, looked to the law firm, Fenwick and West, and said, you were their law firm, you should have known, or they did know about the fraud uh, because FTX was their client. But overall, it sounds like that's sort of the outlier. The more, much more common type of malpractice suits against firms are the types that we saw with Elon Musk, uh, where there's just a really high bill. The client doesn't like that. The client doesn't feel like they should have to pay. And so they file suit. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, I, w- I think that's fair to say. And it's not, you know, just Elon Musk and, and X and, and Wachtell lawsuits that focus on that sticker shock price from a firm's final bill with a client is often used as sort of like a, a bill avoidance tactic. Yeah. So let's get back to what I kind of alluded to earlier, which is that, you know, the timing of all this. You mentioned that these kinds of suits started to tick up around the recession. And I don't think that was a coincidence. Is that what's going on? Is that what's driving the the increase here? You know, we're seeing more claims because times are bad. Um, you know, I, I think it's an overall trend that we're sort of seeing law firms become, you know, more vulnerable to these sorts of claims. They're just becoming bigger targets. The economy is always going to have a say in in this sort of litigation. And the economy is is a is a very big factor. So I would say the economy has a lot to do with it. Market pressures for firms that's interesting. Market pressures for firms. So you mean market pressures for firms to charge their clients more, and then the higher the bill goes, the more incentive there is to contest that bill in court. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And market pressures for firms in terms of, you know, just the the scope of the work, right? They're trying to get business. They're trying to make bigger deals happen. That may open them up to mistakes or vulnerabilities, basically, for for these sorts of claims. Let's talk about another factor that may be driving these claims, and that's insurance. Uh, A lot, if not every firm, has malpractice insurance. And I get the sense that that may be another thing that's driving the increase in these claims, is that if you're a client of a firm and you don't like the services that were provided to you, or you just don't feel like paying your bill, you can file a claim against the firm. And, you know, the insurer will pay for it, so it'll be handled pretty quickly and relatively easily, or that's the the thought, I guess. Uh, is that also a part of it, that mindset that, like, oh, the insurance will deal with it and, you know, it'll be a write-off and who cares? Right. The optics of being insured and having these, you know, million-dollar protection plans, those often make law firms a target, because their clients know that they have these millions backing them. And so oftentimes what what lawyers have said to me oftentimes is that a client will say, oh, well, who cares? It's not your money anyway. You know, the insurer will just pay me. But it's often not, you know, these cases are often not costless for for the firm facing facing that claim. You know, even if it's not their money, going toward a settlement or or a claim payout. You know, it's their reputation that's on the line. It's, 
you know, the time that they put into that case that's that's on the line. And at the very least, uh, it's the premiums that will be higher because of the, the claims that are being filed. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, using your insurance is not necessarily a good thing in this yeah, scenario. Exactly. Um, the other angle in your story that I was really fascinated by is the angle of attorneys who take up these lawsuits against other firms. Uh, I get the sense that there used to be kind of a stigma that if you were an attorney representing a client who was filing a legal malpractice claim, that was not great for your career (laughs) overall, and that maybe that stigma is fading. Um, What's going on with that? Is it now easier to find an attorney who will represent you if you're filing a lawsuit against a law firm? So I would say it probably depends on what you're suing them for and sort of the cost associated with that suit. You know, these cases are, I would say, like fairly sophisticated sort of legal matters. Um, With these malpractice cases, it's the way that it's been explained to me by lawyers who actually do this sort of litigation. It's sort of, you know, a case within a case. That's a really good point, though. This is really meta uh, where, you know, it's like a lawsuit over a lawsuit, like it's lawsuitception, you know, where you're just sort of layers and layers of different litigation. So, yeah, these are these are not easy cases to try, I would imagine. Not at all. Not at all. They're very sophisticated cases. And it's hard for a lawyer or an attorney to sort of build the skills that they need to be able to drop into any case, whether it's securities or trust in estates or, you know, I mean, it really can range. But I also have to imagine that there's, you know, if you're an attorney representing a client and your client is the plaintiff and the defendant is Wachtell, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest law firms in the world, that's got to give you pause because, you know, again, you're an attorney. You're you're in the legal world. I mean, word travels fast. I mean, that has to be a little bit scary, but it sounds like, you know, that fear or that stigma is has faded a little bit. I would say that that fear has definitely faded over the last, you know, 10, 20 years. But, you know, a lot of these lawyers representing plaintiffs, you know, making these claims. Someone told me that they're known as a waiter at a cannibal buffet. <laughs> and that's sort of what they're referred to as, as, you know. <laughs> that's, a little, that's, a, that's a little, that's it's a little grisly, but yeah. I, I actually, I think I understand the metaphor. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. I mean, it's sort of lawyers, I think, see other lawyers representing these plaintiffs as sort of man going against man and you're trying to sort of take a chunk out of out of your partner who could maybe in 10 years you know after a lateral move be your colleague you know i mean it's (laughs) it's a really interesting dynamic you know where some lawyers are afraid to take on these cases they're nervous to see how it's going to affect their practice and their business and sort of the sustainability of their business long term. And then on top of that, like we discussed, I mean, these cases are really difficult to do. So not every lawyer, you know, really has the capability to be able to represent plaintiffs um, pursuing these these sorts of claims. 
but overall, just based on the data that we talked about at the top of the the episode, it sounds like uh, there are at least some lawyers who are willing to you know swallow their fears and sort of push through and and take on these claims. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, these are are definitely happening. And, you know, there are lawyers who have sort of really doubled down on this practice practice group, and it's proved to be a strength um, to their practice and and to their firm. All right. Well, that was Tatiana Monet talking with us about what's on the menu at the Cannibal Buffet. Uh, Tatiana... Thank you so much for uh, talking with me. That was really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 